I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the After the Storm podcast, season two, episode four. And so far, every episode is in one way or another dealt with the main topic of the season, relationships. Whether it's dating your 20s, your relationship with yourself, or your relationship with complicated figures. One way or another, that's what we're covering. And today, I'm very happy and excited to announce our first interview of the season and relationships, well, to say the least, with a topic at hand. Today's episode is a bit of a long one, so I'm not going to take too much of your time with the intro, but I do want to take this time to say that if you walk away with anything from this interview, from this conversation, then please feel free to reach out. If you want to be on the show for anything, talk about your situation, your relationship, yourself, whatever you got going on, this is an open format for that. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. And so for those of you that don't know, my name is Eddie and I'll be your host and guide through the After the Storm podcast. So feel free to sit back, relax and unwind a little bit as we go through this journey of life, self-acknowledgement, relationships and of course, music. everybody we are here today with our first interview of the season and today i have a very special guest andrea i don't want to i do not want to butcher your last name i'm going to try my best andrea arostecki yes let's go i got it i got it andrea how are you how are you doing i'm good how are you i'm doing well i'm doing well thank you so much for being on the show i know you said you've never done anything like this before yeah but it's pretty great i'm glad that you know We've had conversations before and, mm-hmm. you know, you agreed to be on here and the day has finally come, mm-hmm. you know. So, all right, Andrea, so before we start getting into the conversation and we have a lot to talk about, I always like to start my guests off with a little icebreaker questionnaire. Okay. okay? So it's the first thing that comes to your mind. It really is just so that the people get an idea of who you are and, you know, it's not a go full, they're not going to get the full scope, you know, they'll get that later on in the episode, but, you know, it's just a way to warm up, loosen up, you know, and. Just kind of relax the nerves a little bit, okay? Okay. So, are you ready? Yes. Here we go. 
Andrea, question number one. What is your favorite song? My favorite song right now would probably be I Am The One You Love by, um, I think it's Elevation Worship, actually. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Number two. If you could only listen to one artist for the rest of your life, who would it be? Definitely not Bad Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, I think right now it would probably be Brandon Lake. Okay. Number three. You're stranded on an island with no signal. And you can only take one thing with you. What are you taking? My camera. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. All right. Number four. What is your favorite personality trait about yourself? Um, my people, like like my ability to get along with people really well. Okay. I love how fast you're answering this. This is really yeah. good. A lot of people say I was going to say people pleasing, but I'm like, no, not no. people pleasing. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number five. Celebrity crush. Oh my goodness. Ben Affleck. <laughs> wow. That's a, okay. <laughs> Ben Affleck. All right. Number six, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, if I could, I would probably go to meteorology again, actually, if I had to. You were in meteorology? Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> we'll talk about I that didn't know later. That at all. Okay, cool. Okay, right, number seven, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Oh my goodness, my impulsivity and how like emotional I am. <laughs> I love my impulsivity. It's one of my favorite things about me. No. Uh, okay, number eight. What celebrity or public figure could you completely live without? <laughs> Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. That's, no, that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad you went with Kim over Kanye. I'm actually surprised I, at that. I thought about it. I I'm thought actually about surprised it. at that. I almost worded that question as like, uh, besides Kanye, you know, I assumed that's who you would go. Yeah. All right. Number two, number nine. These are my two favorite questions. That's always asked. Uh -huh. Number nine. If you had one song left to live, what would it be? I had one song left to live. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Now people have strategies with this. Some people pick their favorite song. Some people pick a long song. Some people just pick a song that, you know, is like a euphoric moment. It's different ways. To probably think about Coldplay, it. like something by Coldplay. Ooh. I don't know like what specific song, but probably something by Coldplay. Okay. Maybe like Viva La Vida. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, a good way to go yeah, out. I yeah. like that. I like that. Okay. And number 10, I think you'll like this one. Number 10, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the 30 gates? Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I am proud of you. That's good. Nice, simple, yeah. to the point. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. That was actually really impressive. Yeah. A lot of people that I've had like do this questionnaire struggle. And I have to edit it and post and just like erase the long gaps. But that was quick. Yeah. That was really good. You were ready. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's get into it, Andrea. So the first thing I always like to do in these interviews, it's a question that I feel that, you know, we don't ask each other enough. And when we do, we kind of get very vague answers. Mm -hmm. And the question simply is, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Things I'm, I'm well. a nervous wreck, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Things are well in life. You feeling good right now? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, for sure. I'm, okay. I'm happy to be here. So. That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear. Glad to hear. So we've had conversations before, got to know each other a little bit. And so one thing, obviously, that I've learned is that you are, were a wedding photographer. And to me, that makes you kind of the perfect candidate for a relationship episode because yeah. you've seen it all. So kind of tell me, how did you get into wedding photography and 
what that experience has been like for you. Yeah. So I have been doing weddings since 2010. Um, and so technically this past Friday's wedding was supposed to be my last wedding, but I decided I was going to retire, but I decided that I'm actually going to do another wedding in January and then kind of see from there, like if I still keep on doing weddings or not, but um, it kind of just fell into my lap. I honestly I wasn't looking for it. As a matter of fact, the first thing I photographed was a quince and it was with a borrowed camera that I never like I didn't even know how to shoot manual on. So it just kind of happened at the time I had just gotten um, kicked out of school. I had been academically dismissed. What? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I had been academically dismissed for um, failing my classes of, like in meteorology. So I was actually a meteorology major. <laughs> so maybe let's not go back to meteorology. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I was just like in the middle of like trying to figure out what I wanted to do for okay. the rest of my life. And so I loved meteorology, but it ended up being one of those things where I realized it wasn't the thing for me. And um, I was doing it to please my parents. And so I stopped going to classes. I kind of stopped, like started skipping school and I failed out of school. I left UM, went to FIU to try it again, got kicked out of FIU. And so I was like, okay, let me not pursue this anymore and see what happens. And so I took a break. And in the middle of that break, I got asked to do a quinceañera. And um, I remember like the lady borrowed a camera and she gave me the camera to shoot with. And I ended up shooting that quinceañera and loved it so much that with the money she gave me, I purchased my first camera, which was a really basic camera. And um, I ended up just starting shooting. And then all of a sudden, like a friend's mom was getting married. So she hired me for her wedding. Then another friend from church, like got me to do her wedding. And it just kind of was like a trickle effect mm -hmm. where like friends were all asking me to do their weddings. And um, it just fell into my lap. And all of a sudden it just became like a word of mouth type of thing where it's like, okay, now another friend of a friend was getting married and 12 years in, here I am. So how long did it take you to like actually feel like you knew what you were doing? Were you satisfied with like Absolutely. I mean, honestly, back then I was like, dang, this is actually better than I thought it would yeah, be. Yeah. But now I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Like I practically slapped Instagram filters on those photos. <laughs> so it took me about like four to five years, but I think that it's it's one of those jobs where I don't feel like you're ever fully done with like evolving in it and getting good at it I think like even now I look back and I look at my photos and I am so self-critical like about things and I'm a perfectionist so mm -hmm. I'll look back at the photos and be like oh this could have been so much better like next wedding is going to be better than this one so I always try to aim that to make sure that the next wedding is going to be better than the last I love that it, not only is it like a profession but I, I feel like as a creative it's kind of a, another outlet for you yeah. right to kind of just uh, combine like your passion and also, you know, make an income out of it, which yeah. not a lot of people get to really do. Yeah. So that's awesome. And I also, I, you can tell how much you love photography just based on the fact that the one item you would take on a deserted island <laughs> is, is, my a, camera. is your camera, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So obviously along the way, you must have seen a lot doing mm -hmm. weddings. It's dealing with bridezillas and, and, and seeing just the, the magnitude, feeling the magnitude of a wedding day, which can be so, so grand for a lot of people. Yeah. So talk to me about what it's like capturing so many intimate moments for people on what many believe to be one of the most pivotal days in the person's life. Yeah. 
So obviously it's a beautiful moment because it's a milestone in like most people's lives, right? Like you obviously expect that that wedding day, especially for the younger people, is like their one and only, right? Like you're like, okay, this is it. Like they found their significant other. They're going to last forever. Like I am capturing this and it's going to be like the emotions of the day, what they're feeling, how like much love they have for each other, like their parents, like all those emotions. It's it's really a beautiful thing to capture, but at the same time, it's really eye-opening because it allows you to see how so many people plan for the wedding but don't plan for their marriage. Oof. And so, like, it becomes one of those things where you realize, man, like, they literally spend so much money on these flowers and this cake and, like, all these things that at the end of the day, like, they're not going to be around anymore. But how much did you actually invest in making sure that your marriage is going to last. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really eye-opening in the sense that I can see couples that get married and within six months they're divorced or within a year they're divorced or they're not like lasting very long anymore. And so it's allowed me to really question a lot of the things that are happening within like culturally in society with why people are getting married and not lasting in their marriages. Mm -hmm. So as beautiful as it is, there's always the opposite side of it where it's like, it's not as beautiful as it seems. Like people want their weddings to be published on blogs and magazines and Instagram, and they want their red bottom shoes, like to like be all over, you know, social media. But it's like, how much of that are you actually also putting into your big marriage? That's true. Have you shot any, like out of back, you know, just top of your head, do you remember shooting any kind of disaster nightmare uh, weddings? I actually, you know, most of my weddings haven't been a disaster, but I remember like the specific weddings where I've gotten to the point where I can see a couple now and know if they're going to last or not. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and it doesn't have to be a disaster, but it's just the way that they are with each other, the way that they like, you know, talk to each other, see each other, look at each other, the way that their families interact with each other. And so, um, in, in like, as far as disastrous, like, I feel like a lot of people put on an, a show, like it's, it's putting on a production on their wedding day at the end of the day. That's really what it comes down to sometimes. And so that's where you really start to see like, man, that's where the money is going into a production to making people think, oh, we're happy. Like, oh, this is actually going to work and mm-hmm. it doesn't. Okay. So you're shooting these weddings, seeing what love or sometimes fake love looks like. And then having these still images, right, to kind of go back at it and be like, well, okay, that this these two weren't meant to last or these two really do have something special. Yeah. So while that's going on, talk to me about your relationship status. How is, you know, what's your kind of dating background is a little bit and uh, then how working in that area and seeing these couples going through that big day, did that ever affect kind of your relationship status or the ways that you viewed relationships, marriage? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was actually um, at the peak of my wedding photography career. And at the peak, I mean, like, we were literally booked every weekend in, like, January, February, March, like, which are, like, the wedding seasons Mm -hmm. in, like, 2014, 2015. And um, I had been in a relationship for about five to six years at that point. And I was turning 25, which, you know, as the quarter life crisis (laughs) for most girls. Yeah. (laughs) I told myself, sorry, just sidebar. I, when I was 18, me and my friend made a pact to get married at 25, (laughs) 25 hit. And I said, what am I thinking? No. So I just said 30, I'm about to turn 30 this year. And I said, Hey, can we just, let's go to 40 to be safe. You know, it's just, I had one of those packs too. (laughs) So, um, and not with my, 
than fiance, yeah. ex-fiance yeah. now, but we'll get into that now. But um, I was 25 and I was shooting all my friends' weddings. And mm-hmm. so it got to a point where I was like, okay, like, where are we going with this? Like, are we getting married? Like, mm-hmm. I'm shooting everybody's wedding and I wanted to be like a young mom. Um, And so, you know, you get into this like societal and cultural like norm of like you have to be married before 30 because Mm -hmm. my parents were married at 20 so I used them as an example and I was like okay they were married at 20 so if I marry at 25 it's not 20 but it's not 30 like we're still good and um it got to a point where I remember I we got engaged I actually shot one of my biggest weddings in May of 2014 and that night that I was shooting that big wedding my uh then fiance was actually having the conversation with my parents at home and my parents sat him down and they were like okay you want to get married but Andrea likes this and this and this and that are you ready for this kind of lifestyle and they had the whole long conversation little did I know that that's what they were doing while I was shooting this wedding and a few days later he popped the question and I mean from the very beginning of our proposal story I should have seen the red flags but I didn't (laughs) um and you know and it's not to bash him or anything like that but like it's just things that I felt in that moment that I I should have known and it was more of a I thought I would feel more excitement I thought I would feel more of this like fireworks finally like we're getting engaged and it wasn't like that and I was just it almost like was like I kind of hesitated on saying yes and I was like why am I hesitating when this is what I wanted all along and so we ended up getting engaged and we planned on getting married a year and a half later and so our anniversary was going to be in November 2015 and that was going to be our seventh anniversary so we were like okay let's get married the day before our seventh anniversary and so we were planning the wedding and um it got to a point where like 2015 came around and like real like a little bit before 2015 I started feeling a lot of anxiety and I was suffering from these panic attacks and I was like what is happening like well I'm in like the like crisp of my career as a wedding photographer and I'm finally engaged like I should be happy I should be ecstatic and so I was like there's got to be more to what I'm feeling and so um I pulled back on what I was feeling. And I ran back to friends, like friends that I hadn't seen in a really long time that I knew I was comfortable with. And they were my comfort zone. And I went back and I started hanging out with a few friends and I was like, okay, maybe this isn't what I want. I think this, that it is. And so in talking to my friends, a lot of them were like, look, you still have all these dreams that you want to do. And in settling down, you might not be able to accomplish all these dreams. So is this something that you actually really want to do? And so like, I knew I wanted to go back to school. I knew I wanted to do all these things. I knew I still wanted to travel a little bit. And I was just like, maybe I can still do it while married. And so reality hit when we started looking at the financial stuff and I was just like okay maybe this isn't what I'm thinking it is and so we weren't having the conversations that we needed to have we weren't having the like really tough conversations on who's gonna handle the money who's gonna do this like how much money are you bringing and I didn't know how much money he was making like I wasn't making enough money for me to like handle the house um and so there was just like a bunch of things so long story short I ended up actually photographing one of my high school friends weddings and I'll never forget, like, one of the things that I always notice about brides when the doors open at a church or at the side of their ceremony 
is that they'll usually always strain their necks when they see their groom for the very first time. And it is the most disgusting thing, but it is actually so beautiful <laughs> at the same time because you see how much excitement they actually have to see the groom and like their veins pop and everything. It is actually like, it's one of those pictures that I hate showing them, but I'm like, but I want you to see how excited you were. Yeah. And so I remember the doors opened up and her, the look on her face, instead of her looking at her groom, she glanced at him for a few seconds, but then dropped her eyes to the floor and she walked down the aisle and she kind of gave him this like smile but at the same time it was like looking at the floor the whole entire time and me being on the opposite end of the camera I saw that and I was like oh my goodness what is she doing can she please run the other way and so of course I'm not gonna like interfere with her wedding day but it was one of those things where when I was engaged one of my biggest fears was having that same expression that she had on her face I was like I don't want the church doors to open and me walk through those doors and have somebody see that face that I saw on her face. So you talked about anxiety, right? And how that played a factor in that era of your life. And you said that you said you hit something that I feel a lot of us, especially in our 20s, what do you feel, right? You want to have like that perfect relationship and go through the steps and get engaged, have the wedding and all that. But at the same time, you have your individual goals. You want to be able to travel, mm -hmm. you know, whether with them or on your own and doing all that kind of stuff. And so in reality, you look at it from the outside and you say, okay, I'm at the peak of my career, right? As you were, you know, with your photography and I'm engaged, right? And yet you felt like this wasn't what you wanted, mm -hmm. right? And you can you sit there and you ask yourself, like, what more could I possibly want? Mm -hmm. Combine that with anxiety and panic attack. It's a terrifying feeling. And you start to really get in your own head about what the next step in your life is. So at that point, when you started getting those anxiety attacks, were you kind of already getting that idea of it's my relationship? Yeah. Or was it more so like it can't be that and you were looking for other outlets to kind of get yourself back to normal and, and make yourself feel right about these uh, this next step in yeah. your relationship and in your life? Yeah. So I actually thought my anxiety was coming from how busy I was as a wedding photographer. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm just like overworked. Maybe this is more of where it's coming from. Um, now that I look back, I'm like, no, that was definitely not it. I think it was a way for me to also understand and realize that he didn't have one of my non-negotiables that I have now, mm. which I know we're going to get gonna into later, today, yeah. but it, it was the whole, like, I don't have that support system to lean on when I have an anxiety attack or when I have a panic attack. And so in, in all of that, I came to realize like, there's so many more components to when you have an anxiety attack and it could be something as simple as you're just not good together and your body is telling you you're not good together right like you're there's something that your body is telling you in regards to like you guys are not meant to actually be together and um you know and it can go both ways because i think sometimes you can have the anxiety because it's something new and it's going to be something good for you but you're so used to something so toxic for so long that now that it's new it's the unknown and it's you're just kind of like oh my gosh this is too it's too good to be true so that gives you anxiety were you used to sorry were you used to something toxic prior to that to this relationship uh, 
I so I kind of was, but I wasn't. So okay. there was this guy best friend that I had for a really long time. And it was one of those platonic type of loves yeah. that you just go back and forth with each other a lot. And it was just like, yeah, we're going to like, yeah, let's figure things out. Yeah, we're in love with each other. Yeah, but not now. Like, oh, but then when you're you're like available, I'm going to have a girlfriend. And when I'm available, like, so it yeah. was just a lot of back and forth. Yeah. So it now that I look back, I'm like, that was really toxic. I thought that, that was a good thing, but it really wasn't. <laughs> But that's what I was used to. And so part of me feels like I, I had a lot of anxiety because of that, you know, because I was like, okay, maybe like this is becoming that as well. Like it's becoming a little bit more of that toxic type of relationship. Like we weren't talking about the things that we needed to talk about that were so important. And so at the end of the day, I think we both were trying to make each other somebody that we weren't. Like mm -hmm. he was trying to make me become somebody that I wasn't. And I was trying to make him somebody that he wasn't. Like I was going to church and I wanted him to come to church with me while he wanted to go party and drink. And he wanted me to come with him. And so we were both kind of living separate lives and not coming together on how we wanted to live our lives together. And so like one of the things that came up was, oh, I'll, I'll like, I'll stop partying when we settle down and when we get married. And I was like, no, I don't want to see it then because I want you to prove it to me now. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, okay, let's go to church. But that's not, that wasn't his type of lifestyle either. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the anxiety was in me trying to make him become somebody that he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be like that. No. We talked about it that, it's not somebody who comes in that you try to shape them in what you want them to be. It's more so somebody that can fit into your routine, right. you know, and even if there's adjustments that need to be made both ways, you can come to a compromise. There's things like for you, I know faith is a big thing for you. Right. It doesn't mean you can't be with someone who doesn't see faith as important to them, but they can make the adjustment. And then if there's something on their end, right, that, you know, you're not accustomed to, there can be an adjustment there too. Right. That doesn't mean that you're changing the people that you are, right. just kind of adding another layer to who you are to kind of, right, understand the person that you want to be with more. Because obviously on a surface level, you can have a chemistry with a person and yeah. feel those butterflies and just get along, click and just feel safe with that person. But those, there are those important things, those non-negotiables that we'll get into later, right. right? That are important to have, right? Right. So interestingly enough, you know, we talked about a little bit about the, your your previous relationship. We definitely want to kind of get a little bit more into uh, kind of what ended up happening mm -hmm. uh, with uh, your ex-fiance. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, kind of really walk down. You know how how your wedding photography and how your occupation and what you saw from other people made you kind of make a really huge decision in your life. Yeah. But before we do that, uh, one thing that I, I love to do with my guests on this podcast, obviously because music is a big part of my life. And I think that what kind of, who doesn't like music, right? Yeah. In one way or another, you don't have to be as obsessive as I am about it, but I think that in one way or another, music definitely impacts all of us. Yeah. And so I asked you to bring uh, two songs to the show and so if you'd like to go ahead with your first selection and you want to explain a little bit why you're picking this song mm -hmm. and then I will play the song and people will get to hear it. Yeah. So it's the one that I mentioned in the icebreaker. It's the I am the one you love. Um, and the reason I picked it is because 
obviously this is a song that it's a worship song so that, i know that that's not the norm of what you have on your <laughs> podcast it's not bad buddy <laughs> definitely it's not, not. Yet then, <laughs> but i think sometimes we need to realize especially for those people that are like more faith-based out there and maybe even like trying to find their way into like having a relationship with god into realizing that you are loved you are loved mm-hmm. by god you were created by god and he created you with a purpose and whether you go through heartbreak or not like i feel like there's always purpose in the pain that you go through and so um it's one of the things that i look at now like when i tell my story which obviously this is the first time that i do it on the podcast (laughs) but i think you know i've put a lot of purpose in my pain and i've you know tell people of my story so that they either don't make the same mistakes or realize there is something on the other side of this and it's beautiful because at the end of the day God's love for me is enough. And mm-hmm. so that song reminds me that I'm already loved by him. You, can you just repeat the quote that you mentioned earlier to me about, uh, I think it was wise people. And, uh, yeah. So so um, there's a quote that I love that says, smart people learn from their mistakes, but wise people learn from others' mistakes. Yeah. And I feel like for me and seeing everybody's weddings and their divorces and everything around me, like my own clients that I loved. And sometimes they would be like, Oh, we're already separated. I learned that's not what I want to do in my life. And for a really long time, I had to deal with a lot of identity with failure. Like I felt like I was a failure because I couldn't go through with my wedding. And I was already coming in with the identity of failure from failing myself out of college as well. Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that I was carrying as failure that to add that, like the failed relationship made me go back to church because I went back to church in 2018, um, go back to church with this like identity of I have failed and I have failed God and I have failed my parents and like, I don't know who I am. And so my identity was just shot. Like I had no idea who I was besides this girl that called her wedding off and a wedding photographer that whose business felt like it was failing at this point because I didn't even want to shoot more weddings. And so this song reminds me of that season of my life. And it reminds me that I am loved no matter what season I go through. That was beautiful. I love that. Uh, could you remind me one more time who the artist is? Mavericks. Uh, no, it's Elevation Worship. Ele- oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Elevation Worship. Yeah. Okay. So this is I Am The One You Love by Elevation Worship. Yeah. I can be real with you Say anything and not be afraid You made me and you like what you made You made me and you don't make mistakes I can be real with you You take me just as I am You choose me all over again I am the one you love I am the one you love I don't have to prove anything There's room at your take over me I am the one you love I am the one you love
testimony Oh, I've tasted and I've seen I'm a testimony Okay, so let's get back at it. So, just mentioned before the musical break. So you called your wedding off, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, ex-fiance, but that could have been in several ways. It could have been you were in the engagement and you just didn't work out, broke up. It is what it is. But calling a wedding off is a totally different ball game, right? Mm-hmm. So, talk to me about that moment again that you mentioned, which we in previous conversations we kind of got down to this, but you mentioned that. That moment where you shot your friend's uh, wedding and saw her face was kind of a breakthrough moment for you and your relationship. So talk to us a little bit about how that direct moment impacted your uh, engagement and then go talk me through the process of like coming to terms and deciding I'm going to call this off. Yeah. Um, So I went back to hanging out with old friends and in those old friends the old best friend was involved as well. Um, And it was just one of those things where like nothing happened between me and him in regards to like, I mean, we obviously didn't date or anything like that, but in conversations that I had with him because he knew me so well and we were so comfortable with each other. And at this point he like, he, yeah, he just knew me so well. He started like reminding me, like, he was like, your dad, you know, has raised you this way. And he's like, and he's kind of like set the standard for you. And like, do you feel like you're settling in this relationship? And part of me was like, maybe I am. And so, you know, he was like, you have all these dreams of going back to school and doing all these things. Like, is that something that you're going to be able to do if you get married? And, um, it just made me realize that I also had been living my twenties in building a career, but not actually building who I was as a person. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't building myself to be whole. I was building myself to lean on somebody and depend on somebody to, provide for me security financial like stability like all these things when in reality he wasn't even capable of doing that himself because I think both of us didn't know how to be whole on our own and so at the time I didn't see it that way I thought I was running but now that I look back I think no we were definitely not whole on our own and we needed to find who we were like as people um individually and so I started like kind of not, not partying a lot, but since I was suffering from anxiety, I was on medications, but I was also drinking a lot at the time. And so I was just trying to find ways to numb myself and not think about things. And so, um, I would go mudding, which yes, I like to go mudding in South Florida, Uh you know, down in Homestead, (laughs) we we like to do that on ATVs. And so I started going mudding and getting drunk all the time. And I I started seeing how I was spiraling out of control. Mm -hmm. And um, I pulled the plug in April, but then I was like, no, maybe I'm being stupid. Like maybe it's just cold feet. Like I was like, okay, maybe it's, there's so many things. Right. And so I was like, okay, no, let's, let's keep going with this. So we kept pushing forward with it. So um, April 2015, I called the wedding off. We got back together and kept trying to push forward. 
October 2015, around September 2015, I started having the worst panic attacks. Like now it was getting really serious. It was getting to the point where I wasn't sleeping at night. Like I was waking up at three in the morning with like, like gasping for air, feeling like an elephant was in the room. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, why do I feel like this when I should be feeling like at my best? Mm -hmm. And so um, I bought three wedding dresses, by the way. Three? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that should have been a sign. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of confusion that came with it and I'm a firm believer that if something comes with a lot of confusion then it's not from God and so it got to a point where I you know I had to like sit down with my parents and I'll never forget my parents were trying to be as supportive as they could but they weren't even very happy with the situation and so when I finally gave when like I told them this is how much we need to pay for the wedding um my dad gave me a check right with $10,000 on it and he was like I want you to pay off the wedding don't worry about it anymore like this is like that's it like I just want you to be set and he gave me the check and I grabbed it and I thought to myself oh my god there's so many other things I could do with $10,000 <laughs> and I was like oh, Andre I was like why are you thinking yeah, about these things yeah. and so I ended up like grabbing it and I was like okay so I went ahead and I paid everything off everything was good to go I'll never forget we went to Sawgrass and we were looking for like house things and all these things because we were like about to rent out apartment and like do all these things and like in going to see the apartment there was no excitement in buying things for the house I loved that because I wanted to decorate the place but I'll never forget we went to look at this one store and I just started having this terrible panic attack where I was like if you don't get me out of here I am going to call like 911 because I'm about to pass out and so we ended up leaving and on the way home um I remember he was like what like what can I do and I was like I don't know like I don't know what is happening right now I don't know why I'm feeling this way and I was like pray for me and like and he was like I don't even know how to do that so I was like you know what forget it I'm just gonna call my parents so I called my dad and I was like can you please pray for me I'm having a panic attack and I I had an epiphany in that moment because I was like, I'm about to marry a man that I can't even have pray over me. And how am I supposed to just keep running back to my parents every time I have a panic attack to get them to pray? Like, mm -hmm. this is what I need from my significant other, not from my parents. And so in that moment, I realized this isn't the guy for me. And so... Again, I kept drinking, I kept going out, I kept doing all these things until one day I just cracked and I was like, I need to just pull the plug. I can't do this anymore. I know for a fact that if I walk down the aisle, I'm going to have the same face that my friend had walking down the aisle. And I called the wedding off and I'll never forget. I walked into my parents' room and I said, I need to talk to you guys. I don't think that I want to get married. And my parents were in bed and they just like <laughs> jumped out of bed. And my dad was like, I don't care about the money. He's like, if this is about the money, he's like, I don't care if we lose it all. I don't want you to make a mistake if this isn't what you want to do. And I was feeling that support from them was like such a relief. I was like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> and I just was like, okay, it's it. We're done. Like that, like I'm, I'm going back. And I told him, I was like, listen, these things have happened and I need to pull the plug. I need to not like, I can't do this. And we called the wedding off. And it was, it's literally been this week. It's been seven years to this like week wow. um, that oh, I called the wedding the on. on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because I, I think about it now, like I, obviously, you know, I'm very into my faith and 
in the Bible, numbers are a big thing. Yeah. And so seven is the number of completion in the Bible. So like it, on the seventh seven day, yes. And yeah. so I was like, man, we were supposed to get married on the seventh year. But it was like, no, it's like your relationship is completed and done at that point. And so now that I look back and you asked me to be on the podcast, I'm like, how is he asking me to be on the podcast seven right years after I called the wedding <laughs> off? So the timing has just been impeccable. But wow. How did he take it? He didn't take it well at first. I think it was more of a, an ego thing, to be honest. Um, now that I look back, I'm like, I think we were both so comfortable with each other that we thought we were in love, but we really weren't. And so he tried to fight for it a lot. But I think that was one of the biggest reality checks for me, too, because I think when you really love somebody, you are willing to surrender them. Yeah. You're willing to let them go and release them because you're not going to want to hold on to somebody that doesn't want to be with you in the end because mm -hmm. that's not love. Love releases. Love surrenders. And so when I look back and I'm like, man, the fact that he wanted to hold on to me so tightly told me that he was scared and it was his ego. He just mm -hmm. didn't want to seem like the person that got dumped a month before the wedding. Yeah. And, and I probably would have taken it the same way had it been me, to be honest. Like, it, I probably would have been like, oh, my gosh, what the heck? It's, you know, it's a major stroke, like, like a uh, punch to your ego. But, um, you know, he just at the end of the day, he accepted it. And then we called the wedding off and we took a little bit of a break. But then come um, 2016, we tried to get back together again and try to work things out. And by that point, things were just so bad that like it was just bringing more toxicity into things. And so 2018, we finally like called it quits completely. And he went his separate way. I went my separate way. Um, 2018, I went back to church. Uh, like I had taken a really long break from church. I went back to church, a church and I thought I would never step foot in. Mm -hmm. And um, I started getting into community and I started like, and, and I wasn't looking for it. People were just kind of like eyeing me and seeing me and they kind of were just pulling me into like their corner. And it got me to a point where I realized how, what a difference it made to have men that speak life into women compared to what I had. <laughs> And so it made me understand so much even about myself. Like I was like you at the end of the day, a woman needs a partner that is going to help them fulfill their purpose and bring them up and like lead them up and build them up and like help them fulfill their mission. And so I realized quickly that that's not what I had with him. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that whole like, let's have a mission together and let's have a purpose together it was me who was trying to walk towards that mission and he was kind of like staying behind. Mm -hmm. And so in all of that, it made me realize I was leading with a lot of masculine energy in that mm -hmm. relationship. And um, it just kind of like happened from there. Like I kind of just went into more of like leaning into myself, learning about myself and just, yeah. Was it easy for you to, because you said that you realized you didn't have that in him, you mm -hmm. know, but you were together for seven years. So for a while it was, pretty much all you knew, mm -hmm. right? And it took you a while to realize that that wasn't the energy that you needed. Mm -hmm. Now, as someone who has been in the dating game for a while, mm -hmm. right, I've come across a couple partners that um, from previous relationships, whether it be just one or multiple exchanges, uh, have had their perception on men really altered mm -hmm. to a sense of like, they've been in toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. And so by the time, not to like pat my own back or whatever, but that time that somebody who is a good guy or whatever comes around, it's almost difficult for them to kind of come around and really like give in to that relationship. Oh yeah. Right. And so I feel like I've encountered that and it's through, I feel like the more I've learned about it, it's like through no fault of 
like my own and like their own. It's just what they're accustomed to. And it, it's a difficult thing for some people to overcome. Yeah. And so I feel like some people, because it's what they're used to, it's what they'll chase. Right. And even when something, you know, good comes along, you know, they can you try it. Back. They can try it. They push back, yeah. but it's like you can get bored. Yeah. Right. You And then you just kind of go back to like the same kind of toxic energies or relationships that you, yeah. know, you had before. So was that easy for you to kind of overcome that barrier or even after him, were you still kind of just like, okay, this is good, but I'm bored. No, it wasn't. So I actually, it it wasn't at all. So to be honest, the being in the church and involved in the church is what actually has helped me change my mindset on that because um, you can, you see me now, but I was actually a very hardcore feminist. And Mm -hmm. so in all of that, I was a hardcore feminist because I, it it was part of my own trauma that I was carrying with me. And so um, I was very overly independent. So when I started getting involved in the church and again, it goes back to like, it was a church I never wanted to step foot into. Mm -hmm. And it was, a community I didn't want to step foot into as well because I was avoiding that church for so long. And somehow people were just noticing me and kind of like bringing me under their wing. And it was a lot of male figures that were bringing me under their wing. And I'm talking about male figures that were like high up in the church. And I was just like, man, like, why are these guys noticing me? Like, and like some of them were married. And so I was just like, I, why are these men noticing me? And it was, they were speaking life into me when I needed it the most because my self-esteem was not where it needed to be. And in doing that, I realized how much they were like helping me see myself in more of a, I'm, I'm a woman and I can let a man lead. And so I think in practicing how to serve people and how to be under men, like male leadership, it allowed me to kind of lean into it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So at the very beginning, it wasn't. Now it's a little bit easier, but there's still some moments where I still want to come and dominate the territory. And I'm just like, okay, no, Andre, you need to lean back. You need to let like the guy be the one that, you know, that chases and pursues. So Yeah. And if it's it's what works, you know, it's what works. I feel like. Everybody has a different, uh, you know, dating style. We talked yeah. about attachment styles before. What would you say your attachment style is? So I'm a little bit of an anxious avoidant, uh. but I think um, I think it depends because sometimes I can be very secure, mm-hmm. and I think it depends on the person that I'm <laughs> so with. You're a little bit of everything. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it depends on the person that I'm with. Like if, if I have an avoidant, I'm going to become a little bit more anxious, mm-hmm. and if I have an anxious person, I'm going to be a little bit more avoidant. So I think it just kind of like flows with who you have next to you. But at the same time, I always try to go back to being secure, and it's yeah. like being with a person is not going to define me. I've been there before. I've done it. I've been through heartbreak before. If I have to do it again, I will do it again. But like at the end of the day, I am whole on my own. And so that's the whole point of being secure in your attachment and styles as well. So I agree. I, I always say that uh, the best relationship, I said it in the first episode of the season too, but I've said it before, that the best relationships are those relationships where two individuals are coming in as a whole. When you come into a relationship and you feel there's it's okay to feel codependent on yeah. someone, but not entirely dependent. Right. And sometimes people, when they go into something, especially when they're kind of going through things in their own personal life, right. They find happiness in someone mm-hmm. and then they throw all of it on them mm-hmm. and they feel joy. And in the second that they detach, everything deteriorates. And then you realize that this joy was really just, it was just based on them. It was not, it wasn't really that they had improved as a person, yeah. right. But more so that just, they found someone to kind of like distract them from the things that they had going on uh, in their own right. right. Because 
it's like they found someone they, they think that someone finds them valuable you yeah. know and then sometimes that's all people you know want right. it's just for someone to care and to find them you know to, to be a valuable person right um and so you got into a little bit you said that you uh after calling the wedding off you uh you actually got back with 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 your ex for a little bit there um it didn't work out right so what has dating post that been like for you it's been you said seven years now since you called it off so since I called it it's off, a long yeah. it's a you know it's a long time to cover you don't have to cover it all but yeah. just you know a general scope because uh it's it, dating especially in a city like miami right especially with all these dating apps and all that oh, kind of stuff yeah it can be very difficult so <laughs> don't what, even get me started on that <laughs> yeah so what has your experience been like for so you? i honestly hadn't dated since 2018 um i took a break because i knew i needed to be alone I, obviously i went back to church and i kind of filled my calendar with all these activities mm-hmm. at church that i was doing and like serving people and leaning into my leadership skills um like you know getting called up into leadership roles at church and like building other people up underneath me and just i was getting feeling so much purpose in all of that that it was it was fulfilling like it was like I don't need another person because I am finding my purpose and I am becoming very secure in who I am on my own individually so I took that time off I went back to I I went back to um school and so I finished my degree in like a year and a half so by 2019 I was graduated and done um he actually tried to come back around in 2019 mm-hmm. and so he was actually at my graduation but it was kind of nice because yeah. it's like you know I want you to see that I called my wedding off because I wanted to find myself yes. I wanted to find my purpose and it wasn't just it wasn't you like it really wasn't you like it was really me like mm-hmm. it, I know it sounds oh. so cliche oh, the line the famous line it was it's not you it's me it was oh. it sounds cliche but it's true like triggered. at the end of the day triggered triggered Go at ahead. the end of the day I I do realize and think that like I needed to find myself. I needed to find my purpose. And and so um, having him there at my graduation was like, I want you to see, I finally fulfilled my goal of getting my degree, right. Mm -hmm. Of like doing this for myself. Um, And so I just leaned into a lot of growth on my own. I also knew that if I was going to date somebody, I was going to end up bleeding on somebody that never cut me. Wow. And I didn't want to do that. Like that's yeah. Our our pastor tells us that line all the time. He's like hurt people, hurt people. And you're going to bleed on people that never cut you. And I knew that that was going to be me. (laughs) And so even though I crushed on people, like I knew I needed to guard myself and guard the other person because I wasn't in the right mindset for it. Oh, I love that you said that. I, another, again, the first episode of the season, I, I want to set the foundation yeah. for dating in your twenties, and you just hit another thing that I mentioned there, and it's kind of that idea that uh, people who aren't ready to date will often go, and you know I'm guilty of it, and other people that I've tried to date are guilty of it as well. Um, but you'll try to to date knowing that really you're not ready for it, mm-hmm. and then that moment where it just doesn't work for someone, not only are you considered a failure, but yeah. now like you've affected someone else with it. Yeah. And so through that, I had mentioned that there's an issue with people who go into a relationship with a like, what's the worst that can happen mentality? Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of like, a, I'm going to put myself out there, mm-hmm. right, to date. Mm-hmm. And if it works out for me, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Meanwhile, the other partner, right, may potentially be someone who's ready to commit, mm-hmm. be into it. And then out of nowhere, that moment hits where it doesn't work. They don't want to be together. And then now that person is bleeding, like you said, Absolutely. right? Yeah, I cut by a person who never cut them. Yeah. So it's 
it's a very, very interesting dynamic, but also, you, you know, you have people who say on the other side, it's like, if you don't put yourself out there and you don't try to date, then how will you ever know when you're ready? Right. Right. Because you can think that you're ready, but you won't right. know until you're in it. So it's a, I agree. It's a, re- <laughs> it's such a complex, like, yeah. a, you know, situation. Yeah. Right. And, and just really adds to how like difficult uh, dating can be. Yeah. Not just in your twenties, but like in, in any, in uh, any phase age, like I think, yeah, it can happen in your thirties too. It can happen in your forties. Like if you, yeah. you know, get out of a marriage and then you're trying to get back into the game. So I think one of the things for me was I actually tried therapy for the first time and I was mm. like, okay, let me see if this works. I ended up trying and didn't really like the therapy that I had. But, um, you know, I had a lot to address. I had like traumas to address. I had cheating like to address. I had daddy issues to address. Um, I had like, like, you know, forgiveness. I couldn't, I like, I, sometimes it's harder to forgive yourself for certain things than to forgive the other person. And so I'm so hard on myself and I'm, I'm really, it's really hard for me to show myself grace. And so like, I needed to learn a little bit more on that. Um, even boundaries, like how to establish better boundaries. And so like in doing therapy, that's what really has helped. And so now I, I took a break from doing therapy, but, um, you know, this year I told myself, okay, I am going to try to put myself out there a little bit more now so I did go on dating apps and I realized very quickly that that's not for me (laughs) um because I think with dating apps it's very superficial like obviously you're swiping left or right based on the person's looks Looks. and for me I'm very much into the emotional aspect of a person. Like if I can connect with you emotionally, all of a sudden you become Ben Affleck to me. Like, <laughs> like if, if I can't, then I'm like, listen, you can be like the most gorgeous man on yeah. earth, but like Ben Affleck could show up in front of me. And if he's not emotionally aware, I'm like, you're not hot to me anymore. Let's <laughs> so, not so. ruin the enigma that is Ben Affleck. Let's just assume that he's also just as emotionally aware as attractive. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think it made me realize the dating apps were not for me. And so, this summer, I finally decided to actually give somebody a chance. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I wasn't looking for it. I was kind of just like in this point in my life where I was like this. I know what my purpose is. I know where my calling is at. Mm-hmm. I know what God is trying to do in my life and where he is calling me to. And so I'm going to commit to that. And I'm going to do no like I'm going to have no distractions whatsoever. And so. Um, he kind of came along and it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, you are definitely not the type that I normally go for. You are not, um, like he didn't fit a certain category that I wanted him to fit. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I was like, man, like you're bringing things into my life that I didn't want but I kind of like now I appreciate so much more and um I was like okay let's give this a shot let's try it let's try to see how it plays out or whatever and so um you know it was it was great but right now I don't know where we stand and Mm, so I yeah I'm at this point where I'm like we're I'm kind of in limbo in regards to it so it's kind of crazy that you asked me to be on this podcast while this is happening (laughs) because I'm just like okay like we had one blowout and it kind of just turned into this massive thing and um I think one of the things that aggravates me the most in dating now in this day and age is the ghosting like it's like you kind of don't like you know like it's like it's like kind of like you want to have a conversation and you want to be like okay what are we doing here are we going to make things work are we not and then they just go radio silent on you and you're just like (laughs) 
what the heck? <laughs> no, this, this podcast is brought to you by Texting Bag. It's it, <laughs> yes. this, this that is the main sponsor yes. of this podcast yeah. is Texting Bag. Yeah. yeah. And to be honest, that to me, like, I have realized how much of a keyboard warrior I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so, honestly, I think that was one of the things that I realized with this situation. It was um, a moment where I kind of self-sabotaged. And it was, you know, something that, a, a lack of communication. And I ended up wanting to pull back and protect myself from potentially getting hurt based on my past traumas. And so in doing that, I blew up and impulsively overreacted and sent out a message that I really didn't mean. But in the moment, I was just like, I need to protect myself before he ends up hurting me. Mm -hmm. And it's been really hard to repair since then. And so I realized, man, like I thought I was protecting myself. But in the end, like I only ended up hurting myself, hurting him and hurting the relationship. And it's like, my friends are going to probably be like, you shouldn't blame yourself, but (laughs) like, you know where you do wrong. Right. And so in all of this, I've learned that, um, you know, my perfectionist tendencies can also show up in a relationship and I can't, like, I feel like sometimes I hold back on fully being myself with a person. And so like, that's kind of where it was leading with him. Like I, it was getting to a point where at first I showed him every like aspect of who I am, but like three months in, you really get to know a person a little bit more, which is mm-hmm. why they say you should give a person 90 days before you like think about committing to them or not. Date. Yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, like I realized, man, like, you know, there's, a lot of things that I'm withholding now out of fear of if I show you this side, will you still like me? If I show you who I really am, if I show you my vulnerabilities, if I show you that I'm actually falling for you, am I putting myself at risk because I'm falling for you and you're, you might potentially not be falling for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's always a risk, but it's so scary. yeah, it's, it's scary. It's That's, super scary. Absolutely. You, you talked about texting too. Uh, one thing that I have completely realized is that obviously texting is the easiest way of communication, right? We all text and have conversations, but I think that so often these major conversations in relationships are had over text Mm -hmm. just because of the convenience of it. Mm -hmm. But in that so many things are misinterpreted Mm -hmm. and there's so much more anxiety Mm -hmm. in texting these conversations and speaking them out loud. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's that, that, that time between when you're, uh, typing out the message right the other person's waiting you see these three little dots oh my gosh right? yes and you don't know what to say then you read it and then it's waiting for the response and it's back and forth and no matter what you say you know this the, it can come off wrong yes. in the wrong way and so i personally have had a lot of those conversations those big paragraph texts right like back and forth right and so I arrived at a point personally, and I think that a lot of people should do this as well, yeah. right? Where you set that boundary when it comes to having those conversations, having them in person. Mm-hmm. Because no matter, even if it's something that it needs to be talked about in that moment, you need to save it. Yeah. Whether it has to be on the phone or ideally in person, because there's also something about that human element of being able to look in somebody's eyes, Absolutely. see their emotions, right? That's obviously the ideal. And But through texting, it's kind of just the... 
the worst way to go Absolutely. about it, right? Unless you're emailing somebody, you know, but <laughs> if it's somebody you care about, especially like ab- you, absolutely. your tone says so much and mm-hmm. it, you are so quick to assume what the other person it, like is saying, like in their tone when, you know, there with him, there's been times where I have felt like he's being defensive and maybe he's just responding really quickly, you yeah. know, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, why is he being dis- defensive? And mm-hmm. it's like you said, like, or you like, you feel like they're not answering you on text, but then they're on Instagram and you're just kind of like, <laughs> what the heck? Like, how are you on Instagram and you're leaving me on red? Like, yeah. you know, and so it's frustrating. And it's one of those things that I had to bring up in therapy where I was like, why do I become such a keyboard warrior? Mm-hmm. And my therapist was like, would you have said what you said in person? Like what you said through text, would you have said it to them if they were in front of you? And I said, absolutely not. She's like, would you have broken up with him and called things off with him if it would have had him in person? And I was like, absolutely not. I would have been like, why aren't you communicating this with me? Can we talk about this? And she's like, so then why would you do that? And she's like, it's a form of self-control, learning how to like, you know, have self-control. And it's it's like a learned thing, like a learned behavior that you have to kind of learn to break free from. It's like, this isn't a conversation to be had through text Mm -hmm. this is a conversation where we can be two mature adults and like actually have some conflict resolution and talk about it in person and so it's funny because this week I was like so frustrated that it got to a point where I was like I just want to write this long message and I just was like okay no god like I I prayed about it and I was like okay I'm gonna go to pray about it and I'm gonna like give it to god and I fell asleep and I woke up at like six in the morning and I I read this quote that I'm gonna read because it says when we focus on just getting through situations, we kind of miss the point. God uses situations to deal with issues in you. And if all you want God to do is to get you through the situation, you'll miss the main thing that God wants to do. Mm-hmm. Then you'll end up recreating the same situation that you just got through because you didn't deal with the issue that caused it in the first place. And the first thing that it reminded me of is my self-control. Like instead of like, holding back and really having the conversation in person here I was trying to be a keyboard warrior again which is why it got me into the position that it got me into and so I needed to just pull back on it you feel really comfortable and safe behind the keyboard yes everybody does yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. for sure and and the thing is it's interesting because more often than not you know when you get in those conversations where like you actually care enough to have those long text message conversations with somebody through text it's likely because you've had real life conversations that have attracted you to this person. Right. Meaning that you are capable of having authentic, real conversations with them. Right. So now that there's conflict, all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to do this in person anymore yeah. because it's like, all we do is talk good. Right. And, and I don't want to set that precedent. So, yeah, but I, I, I just think it's important. Um, and I know that everybody is confrontational. Mm-hmm. I, I am mm-hmm. right. I like when something's up, I, I'll talk mm-hmm. about it, say it out loud. I have been weakened to the point sometimes with certain people where like I have text message conversations after telling myself I wouldn't do it. Yeah. It happens, it backfires. And I think to myself, like, why did I do that? Yeah. Like I, so I think, you know, I've, I've set this boundary now and I think that it's important for other people to set the boundary too. those big conversations, especially with somebody that you care about. Right. Mm-hmm. It, got to try to have them in person, you know, through phone. And no ghosting. No ghosting. No (laughs) ghosting. Ghosting is just the worst. Because at the end of the day, you know what? Like if things aren't working out, there's, it's so much better to just be open and honest with each other and like, and just face each other in person and be like, look, this isn't working out. Like, but I think 
you know, and the ghosting, it's just like, ugh, like it's, it's frustrating. Oh, it's awful. It's so frustrating. It's awful. I, 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 I can't stand it. It's just, yeah. it's obviously one of my pet peeves, but anyway, let's get beyond this like conversation of texting and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, uh, in a previous conversation we had, you mentioned something to me that I had never really thought about, uh, or considered within my own, uh, dating, uh, profile or like what I look for in people. And that's the non-negotiables. Yeah. No one had ever mentioned that to me. You know, I was like, why don't I have these? Right. <laughs> so you mentioned that you have your own non-negotiables. So yeah. talk to me about how you uh, first discovered non-negotiables, why you made it such a priority for you and, you know, and what you look for in the person. And then what are your non-negotiables? Okay. So I, that was something I actually learned from another friend from church in regards to her three non-negotiables. I have a little bit over three, but they all kind of like, <laughs> they kind of all join together. Um, so obviously for me, my first non-negotiable is faith. Like for sure. Like I knew from the get go and especially after calling my wedding off that I needed somebody that would be able to stand firm and bridge the gap when it comes to prayer. Like I knew that I needed somebody that when I didn't know how to pray or when to pray or like, or in the middle of a crisis that they'd be able to, that they'd be able to do that. And so, um, I look for like the factors, like what is your relationship with God? Like outside of the four, like walls of church, because church is not just a building. Yeah. It's out being the church outside of the, the four walls. Do they prioritize their time with God? Right? Like that's one of my biggest things. Can they pray when things get tough? And so one of the reasons I also put this as one of my non-negotiables was I remember when I was going through anxiety, one of the first books I read um, to try to distract myself and kind of get back into my faith was a book by a pastor named Levi Lusco. Mm -hmm. And Levi Lusco um, lost his daughter from an asthma attack when she was like five years old. And he has a book called Through the Eyes of a Lion. And it was one of those books that I read in three days and it had me crying, bawling, and it allowed me to understand death in a completely different way. Um, but I'll never forget something that he said on a podcast interview with our pastor um, from our church. And he was like, at the end of the day, who you marry matters in a moment when you go through such crisis that you need to like hold each other's hands and pray through to get through that crisis. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. I was like, you know what? Yes. Because at the end of the day, you are going to go through really tough moments in a relationship and a marriage. You're going to go through loss. You're going to go through grief. You're going to go through all of this stuff and leaning on each other through like your faith and making sure that you're both on the same page about it is going to set a foundation that you know, obviously if you're both on the same page, it's going to be so much better. Like, and so, um, for me, that's one of the biggest things. And I always look at relationships as a triangle, right? Where like your, your significant other can be on one end of the triangle, one corner of the triangle, and you're on the other corner and God's kind of at the peak at the top. And if one person is going towards the peak and the other one is staying behind, you're still kind of like mm -hmm. being separated. Meanwhile, if you're both walking towards the peak, the more you walk towards the peak up, the more you're getting closer to God. Yeah. And so, and to each other, you're getting closer to God, but also to each other. Yeah. And so I've always tried to look at it that way. So for me, foundational, like faith is definitely number one. I, I look at that more than anything. The other thing is family. Like what is your family dynamic? Like, like what is your relationship with your parents? Like, do they have daddy issues? Do they have mama trauma? Like those are the things that I look at. Like, I'm like, how do they speak to their parents? How do they like, how do they get along with their siblings? Are they going to make a good father to their children or are they already a good father to their children? Like those are things that 
that I obviously look at. The other one is character. So um, my biggest thing is like seeing like, are you kind? Are you like soft-spoken? Are, do you have self-awareness and emotional awareness? Like, I think that that's so important to have nowadays. Um, like, what is your communication like during conflict? Like, those are the things that I want to look at. And so one of the things that I always look back on weddings is, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 mm-hmm. is a foundational verse that every pastor and every like, you know, person will preach about during a wedding. And it's the love verse, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like most people know what it is because you've probably been to a wedding and you've heard it, but it's the one that says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And so I will never forget a pastor that said, when you're dating somebody, can you replace the word love with their name? And so like, like, for example, like you, right? Like I I can say Eddie is patient. Eddie is kind. Eddie does not envy. Eddie does not boast. Eddie is not proud. Eddie does not dishonor others. Eddie is not self-seeking. Eddie is not easily angered. And so when you start looking at those things, you're like, okay, this person is a definition of love. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that says so much about the character of a person. And so the other thing is, can they lead? And it goes back to the masculine and feminine energy. <laughs> and it's like, Perfect. I want to be able to lean back in my feminine energy and allow them to lead as the masculine person. And so whether it's spiritually, whether it's, you know, emotionally um, or in like decisions that they have to make in the home, like at the end of the day, I will make the decisions with them, but I want them to lead those conversations and those spaces. And so like, you know, I look at their man- masculine energy. I look... um in are they going to help me in fulfilling my purpose and can I do the same for them like can we bring healing to each other right like and so one of the things that I love the most is can I submit to them and so I know that submission is has such a like negative connotation to it right because women are like I'm not going to submit to a man but like at the end of the day like when you look at the word submission I think we've just made it become a negative because people have abused it but in reality submission is to make sure that you both have a mission under god to fulfill a purpose and to build his kingdom and so if you're both under the same mission it's easier for you to both walk in purpose and so that for me is a very big like value that i want in my significant other wow so those three non-negotiables that you said you have more which <laughs> eventually that becomes more of a wish list yeah at that point, right? <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, no, but that that's great. That's great. I think that uh, to to have that, I, I had never thought about that. I just yeah. kind of go out there and just whatever I find. And I'm, but I'm the same way in the sense of uh, an emotional attachment, right? Like obviously, there's an attraction level that needs to be had. I'm not going to mention my uh, <laughs> my type. I've talked to you about it. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to put myself out there like that. Yeah. Uh, but if you know what it is, you know what it is. Uh, but it goes beyond that. That's just a surface level. I love that you have those uh, those non-negotiables in mind. Uh, I'm still working on mine. Uh, it, it's because I guess it's such a new concept to yeah. me, but I guess it's, it's something that's really important. Well, um, if you think about it, most people like have a list of like a, a list of things they want in a person, right? Yeah. But a lot of it is physical stuff. Like yeah. girls are very like, oh my God, he has to be over six feet tall. <laughs> you know, like all these things and like blue eyes, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like, at the end of the day, all of that will fade, like beauty fades. And, yeah. you know, when you're 60 and that person is no longer looking the way that he looks now, like, what is their character going to be like? Yeah. You know, what is their faith going to be like when you when you lose a child? Because you don't know what, you know, a marriage is going to bring. You don't know if a marriage is going to bring loss of a child. And so, like, can they actually stand firm in their faith and then, like, you know, being your support system in that? So, like, 
there's so many qualities that we look for in people that don't really matter at the end it's of the all, day. It's a lot of vanity, yeah. honestly. You think about it, which is why it goes back to the, the dating apps yeah. and all that, right? It's like people will build a, a little profile and put a little, you know, funny caption, but how often do people actually look at that? Exactly. I, I can't tell you that like if I if I'm on Bumble and I I find someone attractive and then I, I'm not going to like not swipe right on them because I don't really care for their, you know, their caption because it's not funny enough. Yeah. Like, so, so yeah, I, for me, it definitely like a lot of my best relationships or, you know, kind of small, you know, dating encounters have happened because of connections and conversations that we've had. Right. Some of it trauma bonding, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. but other times just like an actual deep connection, realizing that there's more. Uh, to just the face value of you know the person that that, that you're you know, sitting across from, yeah. But there, there's a lot, and and I feel like a lot of that is lost, yeah. Um, and it just ends up going back to that thing like this person's hot, this person's attractive, right? I'm gonna date them, but then there's just like something that's missing there, and yeah. that's why it ends up not working yeah. uh, a lot of the time. And then you touched on uh, the masculine and feminine energy mm-hmm. uh, situation, which is kind of one of the last topics that I wanted to get into. And so how valuable is that to you uh, going forward, especially considering that it wasn't really the, you know, what you had previously mm-hmm. is, is that, I mean, it, it is kind of non-negotiable. You did mention that, but what is it exactly that you look uh, for in that masculine feminine energy? Like what, what role do you play? What role does he play? Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why I even gave this guy a shot this summer was because he leaned into the pursuit and I didn't have to do anything to really like, you know, like, like, I don't want to chase a man. Like I really don't like at the end this, at this point in my life, like I'm 34 and I'm like, to chase a man is exhausting like that. I'm not going to do that. Like (laughs) mentally, I just don't have the like capacity for it. And I feel like most men are meant to chase. They're meant to provide. They're meant to like, they want to be that they Mm -hmm. want, like, it's, it's kind of like an ego thing. Like they want to be able to be the ones that say like, I caught her. I like, you know, and at the end of the day, I want to feel like the prize. Like, I feel like I am a prize. Mm -hmm. Like you are coming to me. Like I don't have to come to you. And so, um, I think in that sense, like, I want to feel like I'm going to be able to be protected and provided for. And a lot of people think when you, when you talk about provided for, they think automatically financially, and that's not it. Like, I think we can both bring enough money into the home, but it's more of you're providing security, you're providing stability, you're providing that if we go out somewhere, you're going to be the protector. You're going to be the person leading your home. You're going to be that person. And so especially when it comes to like Christianity and faith, I think that it's even more important because you realize and understand that there is an order to things. Right. And and it's in like a man is supposed to submit to God, a woman submits to a man and then kids come afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, that's antiquated. But I think that that's probably why and and I have to say this like (laughs) with filters probably why marriages lasted longer back in the day because and and you know again I say with filters because it has been abused we have seen especially within the Hispanic culture grandparents like grandfathers that had the mom at the wife at home with all the kids while they were cheating and having another family separately and so that's why a lot of the femininity has been lost because women 
hang on to that anger and that resentment where now the newer generations are like, well, my grandma dealt with that and I don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to be independent and I'm going to be on my own. But then in their thirties, they're crying and saying, why can't I find a good man? And it's like, well, because you're trying to dominate the role too much as a, as a, like, like being more of a like male than a female. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the guys, especially the old school guys that like want to do things the right way, feel emasculated by women. And so sometimes like from the conversations I've had with guys, because I have a lot of guy friends, a lot of them will say sometimes those women intimidate them and not in the sense of like, they don't want to make it feel like they intimidate them in a bad way, but it's more of a, I don't want to compete with a woman for that role. Like, I don't want to become home and be competing with a woman for that role. Like if I'm going to be the provider at home, like I want to be the provider at home. I don't want to compete with her to do that, you know? And so I think that there's a lot, and again, it works for different people. Like obviously for some people that works, maybe a, a man wants to lean more into his feminine side and that's okay too. But like, for me, it just wasn't working. For me, I realized very quickly that I resented that part of my ex, that I was resenting the fact that he was a really tall guy and all these things. But I felt like in my five foot one body, I was being more of like the dominant male than he was. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to repeat the same pattern again. I want to feel like I'm being taken care of. And so that's why in this, in this previous relation or whatever this is, because I don't know what we are. Um, I, I, was are able, we? <laughs> I was able to lean into more of my feminine side because I felt like he was able to lead a little bit better. So, um, that's just, you know, my take on the whole feminine and masculine energy. And I think it's hurting a lot of people. I think, um, I think sometimes the feminist movement does hurt a little bit more than it actually like mm. helps. Um, I, I'm all for women working. I'm all for women, like making their own money if they want to, so that they don't feel like they're depending on anybody. But I also have seen the other side of the coin where there are women out there that want to stay at home with their kids and be able to provide that security for their kids because they don't want a nanny to be raising them or a child, like a daycare to be raising them. Or they're like, I'm practically working just to put my kid through daycare and they'd like to be at home. And the man's like, no, like you're supposed to work too. And so they resent the man for not providing that kind of security and stability for their home. And the kids also suffer too, because kids are being raised by strangers. They're not being raised by their parents anymore. And so I think that that's where we're seeing a lot of this like conflict with kids that like no longer have a relationship with their parents. Like my mom was a stay at home mom and I have a great relationship with my mom because I would, she would pick me up from school and I I would spend time with her and we have conversations and all these things where I can say like, yeah, she has spent enough quality time with me where I don't feel like I could ever resent her for that. Meanwhile, there's kids out there that are like, I never see my mom because she's always working mm -hmm. and she's always having to provide. Or, I mean, we see it so much with like single parents nowadays, right? There's so many fatherless homes that moms are having to take on the role of male and female yeah. father and mother. And so what's happening is that they're being raised alone and like, it's, that's just not the way that God wanted the home to be like, he wanted the mom to be able to stay at home with them and provide food and provide care and provide that nurturing. Like, that's what we are. Women are nurturing. Like, unless you really know, you don't want to have kids. Like most women want to be able to stay at home with their kids and provide that nurturing and that like, like stability at home, you know, and that safety for their kids. And so, um, I think it's been a little bit more harmful. Yeah, no, I, I I can see that definitely. Yeah. I grew up in a, a single parent home also. I mean, I have a relationship with my dad, but 
they got divorced when I was seven. And I always, it's something I always, I, I often touch upon on the other episodes of the podcast. Growing up, I didn't really think that the their divorce had any effect on me whatsoever. You know, it was just kind of like, oh, they weren't together. You're like, I turned out fine. And for the most part, it turned out fine. But I think the older that I got and, uh, you know, I saw my brother get divorced at a young age. Now he's remarried again. Um, and I saw several divorces. Divorce was like a, a big word in my yeah. family. Right. And so I think the older that I got, right, I realized like, OK, I can kind of correlate this separation with like my kind of attachment issues mm-hmm. um, as well. And then growing up in a predominantly female house with my mother, my sister, uh, my grandma before she passed. Uh, it was like the, the, it's, it's what I, it's the reason that I correlate, uh, most uh, directly to why I'm able to speak or like get along with women right. platonically, especially. Right. Um, and then also, you know, have connections and like, I have a lot of individual female friends and stuff like that. Uh, but because like my dad, you know, wasn't in the picture and I would only see him every once in a while. Right. I also feel that there's like kind of, uh, like a masculine part, right. That I, I didn't really like fully get. Mm-hmm. And so what, what that translates to in my dating life, at least what I've seen is that often I end up like staying friends with people that I date or try to date. Right. And that's fine. Like, it's okay. Like I, yeah. I don't care about that, but more so the, the part that I know that I have to set more boundaries uh, on is that I'll become, you know, it, it, it won't work out right uh, between us. And then I'll go my way, they'll go their way. But then I'll somehow still end up being the emotional support for that person. Yeah. When they're going out dating and, you know, somebody is, it's not working for them, right? They'll still come back to me, even though there's nothing there anymore from that relationship standpoint, Mm -hmm. because of the comfort they feel with me for that emotional support. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm willing to give that energy back. But also like, what am I really gaining from this one? Like, you know what you have, Mm -hmm. you know what you had in me. You said no, mm-hmm. you moved on to somebody else, right? It's not working for you. And then you come back here. Mm-hmm. And that says more about what they see in me than than anything. Yeah. And so it's something that I've had to learn myself and the boundary that I had to set. And again, the, the go off what you were saying, the masculine fe- and the feminine energy, yeah. right? I also feel like I need to tap more into like my, my, my masculinity as well yeah. in a lot of these situations, set those boundaries and really move forward in, in a kind of a different direction. Right. Um, the good thing is you have the self-awareness yeah. and, like, and you know that this is stemming from daddy issues mm-hmm. because, and that's, you know, our church actually just did a whole collection of talks on daddy issues. And I thought it was such a great conversation. I wanted to avoid it and run for the hills, <laughs> but it's, it's something that was so needed. And one of the things that he wanted to make sure to address, um, pastor rich wanted to make sure to address a lot of the daddy issues within males, like within the men, because yeah. it, we automatically associate daddy issues with women because Always. we're like, Oh, she's looking for the next boyfriend because she yeah. has daddy issues. Yep. And she's like unstable in her relationships because of daddy issues. But at the end of the day, like men also have daddy issues and especially when you don't have a masculine person like at home there's nobody that you're going to learn how to get that like kind of quality Mm -hmm. um 
like what is like behavior from mm-hmm. right and so i think that that's something to tap into and realize like where do your daddy issues stem from and like what conversations do you need to have with your dad that you maybe have not had and like yeah. to build that up right because it's it's so important it brings healing that's what really brings healing into all of it it does every time i see my dad though he's just it's so funny <laughs> once again divorce the big the big word i'll see him and for a while he hasn't done it lately but for a while he'll always ask me like am i dating someone and then, you know, I, I, I say yes or no. He'll always just be like, all right, just don't get married. Like, <laughs> oh, like what advice to give your yeah. son? <laughs> like, you've, I, I look at him like, you've been married three times. Like, just because it doesn't work for you. And that's why he yeah, says Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, it hasn't worked out. But, yeah. you know, you got to give and me a shot to, if I want thing. it, you know? Like, you have to also understand, like, <laughs> you're, if you have daddy issues, your dad probably also had daddy yeah, issues, yeah, yeah. you know? And yeah. so it's, 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 a, it's been a reflection in his own marriages. Fun. So, yeah. like, sometimes, you know, divorce is a big thing. I think sometimes we need to look at all the generational stuff that comes with it like how many generations has divorce been a part of in my family like is this a generational thing and how do I address it how do I heal from it so that it ends with me because at the end of the day sometimes that's what we need to do we need to be the people that say this is what's happening in my family this is what's been happening for so many years but it's gonna end with me And it's in having these tough conversations and then realizing and having the emotional awareness and self-awareness and saying, I don't want to repeat the same mistakes. I don't want women to be coming to me for all their emotional stuff (laughs) because I don't want to keep getting friend zone. You know, I think you're a quality guy. So like for me, it's like frustrating when I hear quality. And listen, I've been... I've been that girl that I will just not look at the quality men and go for the toxic bad boy, right? But like in this point in my life, I'm like, I appreciate the quality men because yeah. they're hard to find. And so yeah. one day they'll figure it out, but it might be too late. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Now I'm very confident. I mean, I, I don't have to sit here and tell anybody how confident I am in myself. Like I, 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 there's a lot of layers to me. You know, <laughs> I could be the good guy and everything, but I yeah. know there's like a, you know, more, yeah. more to the story. But either way, it's been a great conversation. Yeah. Honestly, we're about to reach an hour 20 mark. <laughs> solid, solid, solid stuff. Is this like part two? <laughs> nah, we, can, we can fit this one into one. I, yeah. I, I like it. I like it. I mean, the first couple of episodes have been kind of short. Yeah. So it's like, you know, here's the big one. Here's like the, the he, these are all like the promos leading up to like the, you know, the big conversation, the, the, big, the big initial conversation. Yeah. And no, we had a lot to talk about. And it was definitely interesting. A lot of the, interviews that I you know did in season one were people that you know I've known for a long time I already had a kind of more of a you know idea of who they were their story right, right? we've had conversations but obviously like just getting to really know you and yeah. so you know it was great to kind of get that perspective uh, you know hear your story and uh, I'm sure that people out there uh, will find stories or elements of your story to relate to and mm-hmm. that's really one of the main things that I want to do with this uh, this podcast so you know, if you have people reaching out to you once they hear it that you may maybe don't even know, right? Then you know where it stems from. Yeah. But uh, either way, I want to obviously thank you for the time, for sharing, for being open about this, right, and being transparent about a lot of things. Um, you know, just quickly open the floor for you if you want to say anything else uh, before we finish off with your final song, and you know. Uh, get with the episode um mainly you know i want to encourage people to definitely dive into therapy i think it's definitely something that's so important especially like even if you're 
engaged or in a relationship and thinking this could be your long-term partner. I think a lot of people think about going through therapy once they're married and things hit rock bottom and they're trying to fix things. But I think I'm a firm believer in we should do therapy beforehand to make sure that something doesn't break and that we don't need to repair it later um, or when it's too late. And so I do encourage people to try to do therapy on their own and to do therapy as a couple. Um, And I think that that's like the biggest thing and the, the biggest takeaway from all of this too is you know to make sure that you know who you're marrying and like who you're in a relationship with like I'll never forget one of my leaders at church was like you know your marriage can be your biggest blessing or your biggest curse and it's true like it can either curse you or bless you like it's either going to build you up and like make sure that you're fulfilling your purpose for both like each other or it's going to be your biggest curse where it's going to bring you down and pull you down and like remove what God has really put in you. And so I think that there's so many ways and avenues to do it, especially like, and you know, even for those people that aren't into the faith, like Mm -hmm. I think that there's something to tap into in regards to like making sure you're whole on your own and that you know what your identity is not in as a significant other's partner, but Mm -hmm. as in who you are yourself. And um, I think that's super important. And, you know, I obviously wanted to thank you for inviting me. This is the first time. And I obviously want to honor you because you make it so easy and comfortable. I was like a nervous wreck and I was like, oh my goodness, how is this going to work? It's just a conversation. But no, you do such a great job. And I've always told you, I think your podcast is something that like, it's a calling. And I think that there's something bigger and a bigger Mm -hmm. purpose for your life. And um, I know that you're trying to also go through it and grow through it and i think that it's only going to get better from here so thank you i appreciate that that's awesome i love to hear that uh definitely you know i only want to get better with this and dedicate a lot of time to it as well so it really keeps me distracted but like a good distraction and allows me to be creative and well you're bringing purpose yeah you're bringing that's and it's what i was telling you like our pain brings purpose sometimes like there's always purpose in pain like i feel like Sometimes I was having a conversation with somebody that we work with and I was like, man, sometimes I feel like the sacrificial lamb. Like, (laughs) I feel like I'm always having to go through all this pain and heartbreak to like help other people. But in realizing that like your podcast can help somebody not make the mistake of marrying the wrong person or maybe like rethink things or just like, oh, maybe this is something that I need to work on. There is a purpose behind your podcast. And so there's purpose behind my pain and your pain and your podcast. Yes, I I love that. Love that you... Hit the nail on the coffin of exactly what the show is about. To share that story, to show people that there's, you know, things that they can relate to. They're not the only person, you know, going through uh, specific situations. And and it, it, it's it's been a great ride so far. It could be it could be a lot of work sometimes, but it's work that I enjoy. So, you know, again, thanks again for being on the show. So we arrive here at the end. Uh, you, you know, gave us your first song. Mm-hmm. So. Let's end it with a bang here. What do you got for me? What's your second uh, song? So I actually, I had two songs and I was like, which one am I going to pick? But there's a Lauren Daigle song, which um, it's called You Say, I think is the one. What is it called? You Say. You Say. Yeah. And it talks about like, you know, you're when you're going through a heartbreak, sometimes you identify with the things that a person didn't see in you. And in her song, it's more of a, like, this is what God sees in me and who he says that I am. And so, like, it's it's more about that. So, okay. yeah. Love that. Okay. So, two uh, worship songs. Two you know, worship songs. Rec- <laughs> After the Storm, a podcast record. Definitely. You yeah. know, I think I've had one episode with uh, with, with one. Two is the record breaker. Let's there you see go. if someone breaks it eventually. <laughs> 
but again, you know, thanks again for, for being on the show. Um, you know, uh, in the future, uh, hope maybe we can get back in, you know, to another conversation. I know that you talked about daddy issues very briefly. I know that's a big thing, mm-hmm. right? That's another topic that, uh, I've spoken on in the past on my stuff. Right. But you know, if that or anything else comes up, right. Yeah. Obviously this is an open format able to come on here i am so down to talk about daddy issues for sure absolutely (laughs) okay so again thank you so much uh for sure and so we're ending the conversation with you say by lauren i keep fighting voices in my mind that say i'm not enough Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. just about wrap it up for this edition of the after the storm podcast a bit of a lengthy one but one that was very much worth the listen i want to once again thank andrea for being on the show being the first interview of the season for being authentic and vulnerable and 
really doing something that's out of her comfort zone, perhaps, and just sharing her story uh, and hopefully making a difference for someone out there who may relate to some of the things that she has gone through. Uh, as always, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, the rest of the conversations that we're going to have when it comes to relationships. It's not just about the relationships that you have with people outside, but the relationship you have internally as well. And so anyone who has a story to share, anyone who feels though they're struggling in their own relationships or with their dating life or has something positive to say about it, I would love to get your feedback, to have you on the show, for you to share your story. And that includes not just the female perspective, but of course the male perspective, because uh, there's definitely something to that as well. And so as always, you know that I have to leave you all with one more banger, one more song to wrap up the episode. And so today we end this episode with a groovy song, something to get your weekend started a little bit earlier, but also a song that fits the narrative of today's episode, the narrative that at some point along the way, you may end up losing yourself. You may end up going back to those vices that you told yourself you'd never go back to. But at one point after you work and you struggle and you do what you need to do, you will arrive back at that point where you want to be and you will no longer be losing your way. And so I end this episode today with FKJ and Tom Mish losing my way. As always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, tell somebody you love them and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. I will see y'all at the next episode. Peace and love.
I'm losing my way Through this darkness She was heartless In every way I'm losing my way I'm losing my way Through this darkness She was heartless In every way I'm losing my way, 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 way.